this doesn't sound wrong, but it's fun to come to Woodland Church. It's just fun. And the songs, the music, everything has been wonderful. Two weeks ago, I preached a message on commitment, and I want to come back in the second part of that message this morning. You know, the second most talked about topic that Jesus preached about was our money. He talked about the kingdom of heaven first and foremost in everything. And when he talked about money, he always talked about it in context of the kingdom of heaven. And if I was to preach on money as often as Jesus talked about it, I would talk about money every other week at Woodland that just to keep up with Jesus' teachings in the four Gospels. And this morning, what I'm talking about is not really money as much as it is the second phase of commitment I want to talk to you about, and that's a life of generosity. When you love somebody, you just naturally give. You don't take from people that you love. You want to give more back than what you've received. If I were to die today, I would want some of my last words to be remembered for, to this congregation as this. You have given far more to Becky and I and our four children than we could ever give to you. You have loved us. And there's not a week that goes by that I don't thank God for that. There's not a week that goes by that I don't get email or cards or letters from people in our ministry who have expressed that to us. And I, I find myself, the older I'm getting, overwhelmed. I find myself overwhelmed at how God has blessed us here as a congregation for 20 years of ministry and peace and joy together in this church. And I've told you before, some of you, this is the only church you know. Don't take this for granted. Cover this in prayer. I get calls and letters back from people saying, Pastor, what's going on? Why is this happening? Don't ever take for granted what God has done in our congregation. Don't take for granted that there are men out camping together with their sons, fishing and enjoying the outdoors. Don't take for granted that just recently Pastor Rick had a wagon train down at wherever that is y'all go to. And really you should have had a Noah's Ark this year. Is that correct? And yet they all come back wet as wharf rats, but telling what a good time they had. Don't take for granted the kids that are headed to camp in a few days. Don't take for granted students who sacrificially give to speed the light. Don't take for granted that on every continent except for Australia and Antarctica, this church is feeding and clothing and educating, building churches and clinics and hospitals, radio stations. Don't ever take for granted that there's a presence in Detroit where this church is ministering to the poor and the homeless. Don't ever take for granted that your children have been out cleaning parks and raking sidewalks and taking care of things. Don't ever take for granted 17 churches that have been planted, local congregations out of this congregation. Don't ever take for granted pastors and missionaries that have been called out of this congregation. Because commitment causes something to happen. Commitment brings a blessing into your life that you can't contain. And I could go on and on because I love to brag about you and I love to brag about what you've done. But don't ever take for granted that what you see here on a Sunday morning is just the tip of the iceberg in 
what the ministries of this church are and how you're touching and reaching people. Don't take for granted. The people have literally come in to commit suicide and have found Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior right here. Don't ever take for granted the people who came in who said that doctors told them they couldn't change. They couldn't prove there wasn't a gene, but they are no longer living an immoral lifestyle, but their lives have been transformed and changed and they found Jesus Christ as their Savior. Don't ever take for granted that girls have left the strip stage and came to this church and found Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And don't ever take for granted that alcoholics have been transformed and drug addicts have been transformed. And don't ever take for granted this morning that many of us are here today because of the amazing grace of God. And we know we shouldn't even be breathing a breath of air because of the healing power and the virtue of Jesus Christ. Don't ever take it for granted. You see, commitment will energize you. We talked about that two weeks ago. Commitment will cause you that when you should be old and feeble, that there's power and energy in your body and strength. Don't take for granted that the power of a vision that keeps you alive. Three years ago, I was following a 70-something-year-old man up a mountain We had prayed together. I watched him hike and move up that mountain. And my son, who just got married this last weekend, I held him back and I said, watch him. Chris is huffing and puffing. I'm huffing and puffing. He's either blessed by God or high on drugs one, the old man. And I said, watch him. I said, Chris, that's the power of a blessed life and what God can do for you. You see, there's something about commitment that transforms and changes you. So this morning, I want us to look at a story of a woman who committed everything she had and Jesus took note of her. So would you stand with me and let's go to Mark chapter 12. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and he watched as the crowds dropped in their money and many rich people put in large amounts. Now you need to understand these, there were 13 collection places. There's an area of the temple called the treasury. John tells us that Jesus was standing outside the treasury and they were shaped like trumpets and they were made of metal. You didn't have folding money in those days. You didn't have an iPhone to quietly text. So when you gave your money, it just, if you gave a lot, it made a lot of racket going down into this. They were called shofars. And so it made a lot of racket going in there. If you gave just a little, it just kind of tinkled. So I want you to get this picture. Jesus is watching these rich people. Many rich people put in large amounts. Read this next verse with me. Then, go ahead, put it up. Then a poor widow. Then a poor widow came in and dropped two small coins. Read that again. Then a poor widow came in and dropped two small coins. Now, what do you notice about her? She's not just a widow, but she's a a poor widow. She shouldn't have been poor. She should have been taken care of. The law was clear about how families were to take care of their their mothers, their, their elderly. The law was clear about how if there were no children, then the community of faith was to take care of her. Look at this next verse that Jesus said here. Jesus called his disciples to him, kind of like I'm calling you to pay attention. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Lord, we remember. We remember that you gave all that you had for joy to set us free from our sins. And God, we come to you this morning 
unworthy as we may be, but you have said, you are my children. I love you. And so God, I pray that to all who will believe this morning, you will give the power to become the children of God. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning and you're going to want to follow along. I'm so excited about this. Now, I'm very privileged to have spent the overwhelming majority of my life as a pastor. I have been the head of a school. I have been the head of camps. I've been the head of, of a major department for the Assemblies of God. I have privileged to sit on some boards of some businesses and some nonprofits. And I know a little bit about budgets. I know I'm not a financial expert, but I know a little bit about budgets and I know a little bit about what it takes to run an organization or run a business. And there are some of you in here, you're much more knowledgeable about this than I am. And so I'm not pretending to be an expert, but from my experience, I'm just telling you, you can't run a temple on two cents. And that's about what these two widow's coins would have represented was about two cents. As a matter of fact, if you go to Jerusalem, there'll be buckets and buckets of them. You can get them, you know, people buy them as souvenirs because of this story. You can't run a ministry on two cents. You can't run a household on two cents. Those of you that are married and you have children and you're getting them ready for college, you, you know you can't run your home. You can't pay your utility bills or your, your, your mortgage payment on two cents. And yet Jesus says something very astounding about this woman's gift. He says to her, she has given more than all of the rich people. I mean, the temple needed some large gifts. The temple needed people who could support the ministry and the sacrifices of the temple. Your home needs some large income streams. Your business needs some large income streams. This church needs some large income streams for what it does. But what Jesus does is turn the attention from the amount of the money because God doesn't need your money. God wants your hearts. And that's the whole point of this story that Jesus is causing them, making them pay attention to, is the rich people that when they tithed, when they gave, they still had a sizable surplus to be able to live upon. When they tithed, they still were able to go home and to have a meal. They were still able to go home and, and pay for the oil that ran in their lamps or the fuel that they cooked their food with. They were still able to ride their camel or ride their donkey. They were still able to send their children to school so that they could be educated. And when you and I put God first in our lives and we tithe, we're still able to go to our homes. We're still able to get into our climate controlled cars. And some of us even have little houses for our cars. We love our cars so much. We, we build a little bedroom on the house for them. We call them a garage and we pull our cars in the garage and we baby those cars because when we put God first in our lives, God takes care of us. Can you say amen? But this woman, for some reason, and if you look in my Bible, and uh, I've written to the outside, why was she poor? The law said she, be, she should be taken care of. And Jesus uses her as an example of somebody who put God first in their life. She was kind of like David who said, I will not give the Lord that which costs me nothing. She put God first into her life. And when we receive an offering here at Woodland Church, that's probably the purest time of worship there is. Because a lot of people sing the songs. There are people who come to Woodland who haven't given their hearts to Jesus yet. And they tell me, I know, over at Christoph's or down at Starbucks or Baldo's, they will say to me, I love the music at your church. And so I'm, I'm glad you love the music. And you know, I, I practice those principles that you taught us in the message. I, I love them. I said, but when are you going to give your heart to Jesus? And they still haven't crossed that line. You see, you can sing the songs and I know of a pastor. I, I know him well. He was, he preaches, but he's not a Christian. He doesn't believe that Jesus died for our sins. He doesn't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. He doesn't believe that Jesus was born of the virgin. He's not a Christian, but he pastors a church. He looks the part. He stands behind a pulpit every Sunday morning. You see, you can stand up here and you can give a talk or a message or preach a sermon and that still not be a pure form of worship. But when people give to the Lord, sacrifice 
sacrificially, that is probably the one of the purest times of worship that we have at Woodland. And that's the reason that I just wanted to remind you this morning of the good works that this congregation that you have achieved and accomplished because of your sacrificial giving. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for how he's blessed us to be able to give? How he's blessed us. That's why I say so often I am so glad that we are the ones that get to do the giving and not the ones who need the givers in our lives. God has blessed us. Well, let's talk about that for just a few moments because as I look at this story, there are so many things that go to my mind. We want to use the funds that God gives us in a wise manner because I've wondered from time to time the money that those rich people put in, was that part of the money that those priests used to bribe Judas to betray Jesus with? It's why sometimes I say, Lord, help us to be wise and help us to be discerning, not only as a congregation, but Becky and I in our personal giving and our plan giving. Help us to be wise because we want to be able to do things in a way that will honor you and please you with the decisions that we make. And here are some of the things that I believe the Lord has taught me over the years that I would like to share with you. If you would listen to a man who's who I know is getting closer and closer to heaven every single day, and I want to hear him say, well done. Not that I'm saved because of this, and not that you're saved because of this, but here are some lessons that I've learned. If you want to live a generous life, if you want to live an open-handed life and not a closed fist life, if you want to be able to pray for who you want to pray despite what everybody else may think, if you want to be able to be the one who is giving and being a blessing rather than the one always needing someone to give to you, here are some things that I think will help you. Number one, desire the true riches of heaven. Desire the true riches of heaven. We don't give to get from God. We don't give to try to manipulate God. We have learned that if we put God first in our lives, God is going to take care of us. Can you say amen? You see, when I go to Starbucks, they give me a cup of coffee if I give them $2. When I go to McDonald's, they give me a Happy Meal because I'm too cheap to buy a full meal. And then I give the little toy to Timber Ridge to give away to the kids. I buy a Happy Meal. For, they give me a Happy Meal if I give them $5. And if we put God, notice, if we put God first in our life, God's going to take care of us. But when I think about the true riches of heaven and God's, Jesus says, you don't have to worry about where you're going to get clothes to eat, uh, to, to wear food to eat. When I think about that, I believe that. What are the true riches of heaven? And I think that boils down to relationships. The true riches of heaven are all about relationships. A relationship with God. I know Jesus. I can say that not in a hypocritical way. I can say that not trying to wear my faith on my sleeve. I've talked with Jesus long before I came to this church this morning. My daughter Amy and I agreed in prayer together long before I came to this church this morning. I talked to Jesus and I want to tell you something and please don't think I'm insane. He talked to me this morning as well. He talked to me in his word. He talked to me in his heart. I didn't hear an audible voice. But you know, I love what Lily Tomlin said. Lily Tomlin says, why is it that when people talk to God, we call it prayer? And when people say God has talked to them, we call them insane. God talks to us. You can expect a living relationship with Jesus Christ. So I have this right relationship with God. God will bless you with a good marriage relationship where your wife and you, you love one another, you care for one another. I tell young couples all the time, I say, listen to me. I don't want you to, to look at the couples that are negative examples. I point out some of you in the church that I say you need to get to know, you need to watch them because marriage can become better and better every day if if, if both of you put God first in your life, and if both of you, if, if, if both of you remember what the scripture says, in honor, prefer one another. And that means that I prefer Becky, that I want to honor Becky. That means you want to honor your wife, or you want to honor your husband and put them first. If you put God first in your marriage, and if you put the other person ahead of yourself, how many of you know your marriage relationship is going to be good? And if you take that into your family, you're going to have a good relationship with your children. 
And if you take that into your church, you're going to have a good relationship with your church. And if you take that into your neighborhood, you're going to have a good relationship with your neighbors and in your community. Because the true riches of heaven, they are not gold and silver. That is paving material in heaven. That is asphalt in heaven. The true riches of heaven are a relationship with God and a good relationship with one another. Can we give him a hand of praise this morning? Hallelujah. I sat at Starbucks at Orchard Lake Road in Farmington Hills with a man who went through a horrible and tragic divorce before he became a Christian. He'd ask if he, I would meet with him, and we met together, and we sat there, and he just began to weep. He says, Pastor, I have no relationship with my children. It's my fault. It's, it's the way I lived. I put my career first above my family, above my marriage. And he says, my wife, my ex-wife has forgiven me and moved on. But he says, my children won't even take my phone calls. And now that I'm saved, I want this relationship. You see, I want to tell you this morning, if you put God first, God will bless you with good relationships. But you need to hear me this morning. If you put yourself first, your marriage is going to suffer, your relationship with God is going to suffer, your family is going to suffer, and when you come to the end of your life, you won't be counting what's in your 401k. You're going to be looking for your wife and your children and your grandchildren and those people you've done life with to gather around you and to love you and to help you as you slip into the kingdom of heaven. And so I would suggest to you desire the true riches. Jesus said, if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Now, it just automatically happens in my mind this way. When I read that, I don't see that as negative. Because the first thing that jumps out at me is, if I am trustworthy with the worldly wealth that God entrusts me with, then God will trust me with the true riches of heaven. That's what Calvary was all about. That's what creation was all about. That's what creating man and woman was all about. That's what the church is all about. In the church, Jesus said, listen, we're not putting buildings first. We're putting people first. And that's one of the reasons at Woodland Church that we believe not only that God loves lost people, but we want to persuade them to become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Can we give him one more hand of praise this morning? <laughs> Hallelujah. The true riches of heaven. The second thing is you got to determine your priorities. You've got to determine. I can't determine your priorities for you. The church can't determine your priorities for you. I can help you if you need help in that. There are many people in this church that can help you much better with it than I can. But let me just show you some things that the Bible says. The Bible's very clear about our priorities in living. The book of Proverbs is filled with examples of priority. The book of Ecclesiastes is filled with examples about priorities. The pastoral epistles, the ones to Pastor Timothy and Pastor Titus, Titus, they're full of examples of priority living. The gospels are full of examples of priority living. Matter of fact, I would challenge you for maybe your devotions for the second half of this year. It'll be okay if you're on an annual Bible calendar reading. If you want to do something different, just put a, a marker. I would challenge you to go through Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the pastoral epistles, and then come back to the Gospels and underline and in your journal write down every priority that you see Jesus put, like if you seek the kingdom of heaven first. Honor your mother and your father. If you just go through, you'll see those, the Bible is full of them. So I want to take that principle of priority living for just a second, and I want to take two fictitious couples in our church, two young couples in our church, and let's say they make $60,000 a year. Together, they make $60,000. One couple in our church spends $61,000 at the end of the year. They make $60,000. One couple spends $61,000. The other couple spends $59,000 at the end of the year. Which couple has financial peace? Duh. Uh, turn the air conditioner up. Get it cold in here where people are listening. Which couple has financial peace? The couple who spends $1,000 less than they took in, right? 
I took that example from Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey, if, if you don't read his material, you're hurting yourself, but Dave Ramsey talks about these principles of priority living. Dave Ramsey, one of his principles are that priority, that, that setting priorities will live to priority living, not setting priorities will live to an unhealthy way of living. And so you've got to, Somehow or another, you've got to figure out a way, your wife and you, you have to do it together, you've got to determine what those priorities are going to be. Well, I got to thinking about that one day after Dave, I was finished listening to a, a, a radio show that Dave was speaking on and he was talking about priorities and people were calling in about, do you ever listen to those shows and when you're driving down the road and people will call in about you know, their questions, the things they've done, and do you ever go, how could they have ever done that? Do you ever do that? You know, and I just found myself just going, how? You know, why? And even sometimes Dave goes, well, that was just stupid. You know, it's just, you don't want to make people feel bad, but you go, why did you do that? Well, the Bible says, now let's talk about determining your priorities. Put this next verse up for me. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to do what? Say it again. One more time. God doesn't need my money. God's rich. God says, I own the, the earth. I own the mountains. I own all the gold and silver. I own the cattle. I, God owns everything. Job says, God gives, God takes. If God wants it, he can have it. I mean, it's his. I mean, sometimes we get these misconceptions you know, I have been in nations when the economy has turned upside down overnight. I know what an inflation and a currency exchange can do. As a matter of fact, I didn't mean to do it, but we caused, I, I took in a bunch of people into a very impoverished nation. I had to take a lot of cash, divide it up between several people. They wouldn't accept electronic transfers or anything like that. So we took a wad of cash. We literally changed the exchange rate of the nation when we introduced that much U.S. cash into their economy at one time. I felt like a big shot that day. I was treated like a big shot that day. But we literally changed the exchange rate because of, of what we've done. You see, there's an exchange rate in the kingdom, and God says the purpose of tithing is not because he needs my money. Remember, Jesus said that woman who gave two cents, she gave more than everybody else because she put God first in her life and in everything she done. So how do we do that? First of all, I would say you've got to have a plan. Every dollar that comes into your life, Dave Ramsey teaches, you need a plan for that dollar. So let's say, and I'm just going to use his principles here, and I, I know them by heart, so I hope you've learned them by heart. I've taught them before. Number one, the first 10%, Ramsey says it goes to God. You want to put God first in your life. The second 10%, if you're out of debt, it goes to savings. If you're not out of debt, it goes to paying off your debt. The third 10 cents of that dollar that comes into your life, then you put into a savings account. If you're out of debt and you've built up an emergency savings account, then Dave says, and only then, after you've got about six months of savings saved up, then and only then do you start putting something in the stock market or, or investments like property or something like that. I'm not an investment counselor. I don't get into that. But those principles are pay off that debt, start some savings. I've, told, I've taught you this before. If you're going to pay everybody else, you deserve to pay yourself. That's called a savings account. Can you say amen to that? So, so we're talking about priorities. And then you learn to live on that 70%. Now, let me tell you about a young couple that I taught with this week. I had just, this is just, I sat down with them. They just totally, totally blessed me with their story of faith. And Mark, Mark did not grow up in a Christian home. Mark did not know Jesus as his savior. Mark had the dream job that he had wanted. He was managing a Legoland in California. He said, all my life I loved Legos. And as a boy, I used to dream about maybe getting to manage a Legoland. And he had moved from Michigan to manage a Legoland in California. While he's managing a Legoland and he's in Lego World training, his parents get a divorce, his girlfriend breaks up with him. He just feels like life is no longer worth living. Mark goes down into his basement. Mark's going to commit suicide. He's standing on a chair. He's going to hang himself. Mark standing on that chair, and he says, the only connection with God that I had was a TV show called Touched by an Angel. Anybody remember that? 
Now, that's deep theology, right? I mean, that just doesn't get any deeper than touched by an angel, you know? Church on the couch, touched by the angel. That's the only thing he had was, but he said, I'm standing on that chair, and the thought comes to me, if there really is a God, if there really is a God, then I'm going to hell. And it scared him. So he got off the chair. He quit his job. He moved back to Michigan, enrolled into a master's program at a university here. And he's in this university program. He's depressed. He's, he's suicidal. He feels like there's no hope for living. And there's a young, spirit-filled Christian sitting right behind Mark. And the first day of class, this young guy invites Mark to a Bible study. And Mark says, I didn't know anybody. And I thought, what the heck? I'll go to a Bible study. And for the first time in his life, he heard people, and this is what he said, they were talking to God. Now I know it was prayer, but he says, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm looking and he says, they've got their eyes closed. He said, they've got their hands up in the air and they're talking to God. And he said, I've never seen anything like it, but I was flooded with peace. My heart was overwhelmed. He ended up making a long story short as I can. He gave his heart to Jesus Christ. He was baptized in water. He began to pursue Christ and study his word. He met a young girl by the name of Casey in that small group, and they've become husband and wife. And when they got married, Mark was $80,000 in debt. And they took this plan that I just shared with you, and they said, we decided we were going to determine our priorities because I asked him, how did you get out of $80,000 worth of debt? He says, we took this plan. We gave every dollar a job. We decided that after we paid our rent, we could live on $200 every pay period. So twice a month, we got $200 to live upon and we paid off our debt in just a few short years, all $80,000. And he said, Pastor, now we are tithing 20% of our income. We're giving a third 10% to missions. And we're also self-funding ourselves for some of the ministry trips that we want to make. I'm telling you, if you put God first in your life, if you learn the purpose of tithing, you think you can't get out of debt. You think your finances are controlling you. You think the bank is controlling you. There is a God bigger than all of your debt. If you will put God first, he is able to set the captive free. Somebody give him a hand of praise. He can set you free. Now, I need to say something right here. Sometimes I just get a, this is not planned. I'm not preaching this message because the church is behind on this budget. We're meeting budget. We're giving to missions. We're supporting the things. This is not about your church needing to raise. If I, we had budget problems, I would tell you. During the recession, those of you who were here, I did. This is because I want you to learn how to live a committed life and enjoy the blessings that God brings for you. Can you say amen to that? So let's keep on moving. I've got so much more ground to cover. Number three, what I learned from Mark, and I asked Mark and Casey, and I wrote this in when I got home from that meeting, is discipline yourself in the little things of life. Discipline yourself in the little things of life. You know, there are just some little things you have to learn how to do. I remember when our kids were little, and they would get up off the floor, and you remember that? And then they'd drop right back down their bottom. And then they'd look like drunks. And we'd hold, yay, 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 we'd clap for them. Do you remember that? They just, your kids, they just kind of stagger around, and pretty soon they could not only walk, pretty soon they could run, and pretty soon you still wish they couldn't walk or run anymore. <laughs> they were into everything. You put the door locks on the cabinets, you put the things in the electrical outlets, because now that they've got mobility, they're everywhere. And then do you remember teaching them to drive? What a freaky, freaky experience teaching your kids to drive. And suddenly they learn to drive and they're confident and you give them the keys for the first time. That is the longest evening of your life, right? Until you hear that garage open and they pull back in. You see, you've got to learn to discipline yourself in those small things. The Bible says, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ways. You see, the small things that God is trusting you with that's how God is building you to be able to entrust you with greater things in life. The little things that God trusts you with, don't ever despise, look at me, look at me, don't ever despise the day of small beginnings. 
Becky and I took a church that had split before we got there five times. We're meeting in the basement every Saturday night and Sunday morning. We were sweeping the bugs up. 21 people, including Becky and I, we were the largest givers in the church. And I remember they couldn't make its bills. And we were sitting there one night going, have we bit off more than we can chew? And the scripture came to me, despise not the day of small beginnings. Don't you ever discount the little things God puts in your life. When God trusts you with little things, he's preparing you for greater things. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? And I'm telling you, the wise in this church will go home and teach their children that. The wise in the church will go home and you'll teach your children. Number four, discover the joyful blessing of generosity. Now, I'm going to just flip it for just a moment here because I do want to talk to you about the blessing of living with an open hand. I don't want to live like a miser. I don't want to live with a closed fist in my, li in my life. There's, there's just so much more joy in giving than being a miser. I can remember as a child, I loved Christmas. Do you know why I loved Christmas? Because I was going to get. I mean, you shook the packages. Do any of you ever open the packages? Don't lie. God's in this church watching you. Did any of you wave your hand? You opened the packages and then sealed them back up. I knew you did, Carlene. I just felt like you did. You're that sneaky kind of kid, you know. Your mama's sitting here. Look at her and tell the truth now to do you good. You see, we were getting, we loved Christmas. We couldn't wait for Christmas. But now, there's nothing that I really want. I mean, there's just nothing I really want in life. I, I, I'm a rich man. I have everything I want. God has blessed me with the relationships. He's blessed me with the true riches of heaven. If I died today, I would die the happiest pastor that you know of. I'm sure there's pastors as happy as I am, but I am a joyful, happy man. But here's the key that I want to point out to you, is that when you get older, the joy is not in getting, it's in giving. In our family, Benjamin is the best gift giver that there is. That, we all agree on that. His brothers, his, everybody. Benjamin is the most thought, he works, he plans, he strategizes. By the way, would you give Ben, the, the lawnmower just quit working yesterday, and Ben hand mowed this church yesterday to get it ready for today, and that's a lot of acreage to cover. Would you give him a hand? I mean, I was so proud of him. Rocky Donahue's discipleship and mentorship came through big time yesterday, and I was just really proud of him for that. But Ben is a gift giver because he's thoughtful in how he gifts. But what he has discovered and what you've discovered and I've discovered the reason it feels better to give than it is to get is because we're made in the image of Christ. The Bible says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have every eternal life. It feels better to give because that is when we are most like God. God is a giving God. Let's give him one more hand of praise for what he's given us today. And then fifthly this morning, you have to make a decision. You have to decide whether you want to live a blessed life. And that's what generosity does for you. You have to decide to live a blessed life. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Debbie Holbrook recently brought a, a very generous gift above her tithes and offerings because she wanted to help with a ministry reaching out from our church. She brought that in, and Debbie and I were talking, and she's pastor. When we were young, things were difficult, and God would always send people along to give and to help us. And she says, it feels so good to be able to give back. She said, my son, Bill, she said, Bill, and Bill is, was in the youth ministry. He's now in another ministry now at, at Northridge, large Baptist church north of us. She says, Bill was so touched and changed 
by youth ministries and youth camps and things like that from the church. I came to know Bill as a young man when he was getting ready to go to college and he and I would sit a lot of times and just talk and dream about the future. I remember doing the premarital counseling with Bill and Jamie and getting them ready for marriage and all those conversations we've had and as Debbie brought all of that back, I realized the influence that somebody had on Bill through Debbie because of the generosity and faith that was sown. You see, God promises you he'll give you fruit that remains. And the fruit of those people who gave in Debbie's life is continuing through the life of her son and daughter-in-law as they continue to minister to others. We pray this prayer. Give us today the food we need. Right after teaching us how to pray that, Jesus says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Would you read that with me? Give us today the food we need. Stop. It's okay to ask God for what you need. Do you need help with your rent, your mortgage? Do you need help with your debt? Do you need help with your health? It's okay to ask God. It's okay to come to the church and ask the church. We may or may not be able to help you. Depends on what it is and the circumstances. But I promise you, we will do everything we can to help. And there are people here and in this community can tell you. There are people in the Woodhaven offices and the Brownstown offices and the Flat Rock offices who will tell you when this church has been able to step up and help. There have been some people that we haven't helped. There have been reasons why we haven't helped. And those reasons are reasons that I think have protected the ministry and the name of our church and the integrity of the contributions that you make. And I think that's why God has blessed Woodland so much. So it's okay to ask. Never be afraid to ask. Never be afraid to ask. Jesus then goes on to say, Thou seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He, God, will give you everything you need. Now look right here. I don't want you to miss this. The things that I have in my life that really matter to me, money could not buy. Look at me. Some of you are so consumed with money that it's become an idol in your heart. You're so consumed with your toys that you'll miss worship to take care of a toy. Some of you are so consumed with your stuff in this life that it's choking the richness of God out of your life. And you don't realize that it's become an idol. God says, if you'll seek me first, I will give you everything you need. God said that. I didn't. God will honor his word. There's another couple in this church. I don't have permission to share their name, but I have permission to share the story. They recently made a very generous donation to help our students with fine arts. The wife and the couple said, when we were young, I grew up in a single household, there were needs that people gave to help us with camp and ministry and things like that. And I just want to be able to give and to bless somebody else. I don't know anything about their finances, but I know they're some of the most fun people to hang around with. And I know they're some of the most productive people in our church, always serving God. A man listened to me preach on this just a few years ago and asked me to have breakfast with him. I said, if you'll meet me at six, I'll have breakfast with you. He's a businessman in our community. He's well to do. He said, I think it's easy for you to tithe because your grandparents and your parents, they tithe and they taught you to tithe. I never knew that, so it's difficult. I, I can't tithe. And I said, well, over our eggs, my grits, his hash browns. I said, you're calling God a liar. He goes, how do you mean? 
I said, I know people in Senegal. I know people in Paraguay and Argentina. I know people in Bangladesh and in India. I know people in Ethiopia and Kenya. I've been in their homes. They lived in boxes. They lived on streets. They slept in doorways. And they put their faith in Jesus. And they took their little mites and they gave them to God. And God has honored them and given them a home and given them running water and given them a toilet that they don't take for granted. And they give above their tithes because it doesn't matter if you grew up in church. What matters is you put your faith in God. God is not a liar. God will. He will take care of you and I today. He will take care of us. And the lies of hell are this. Some people would rather hear about the devil than to hear about the blessing of tithing. If I say tithes are ready to run for the door, if I say the devil, they'll flock out. Oh, what's he going to say? Matter of fact, it made me angry. I'm just, I'm be, can I be honest here? made me angry if you, you know. I announced I was going to preach a message on demons and the devil and so-called ghost. We were packed out on Wednesday nights. I just finished a series, Who is Jesus? Just a smattering of people showed up. I was spitting nails. What is wrong when people would rather learn about the devil than learn about Jesus? What is wrong when the word blessing and generosity makes us want to live like misers. You see, that's a test of our hearts. God will take care of you. First of all, you got to live in trust. Psalms 37 is a great study on this. If you will trust in the Lord and do good, you will live safely in the land and prosper. You got to live in commitment. Commit everything to do you do to the Lord. Trust Him, and He will help you. Boy, it's wonderful when God's your partner. Amen? Number three, delight in generosity. If you'll take delight in the Lord, He'll give you your heart's desires. To delight in the Lord is to be generous. And to be still in God's presence is just to rest. Don't worry. Don't worry. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. If you want those points that are on your outline, I'll mail them to you. I just wrote them down real quickly. So I'm going to ask our ushers, would you come right now? And we're going to do it today. We're going to give to the Lord right now. Napoleon Hill, who studied financial wealth and how people created financial wealth, listen to what Napoleon Hill said. Procrastination is the bad habit of putting off until the day after tomorrow what should have been done the day before yesterday. Listen to that. Okay, don't watch the ushers. Listen to me for just a second. You're going to be glad you heard this. Procrastination is the bad habit of putting off until the day after tomorrow what should have been done, done the day before yesterday. Have you ever been guilty of that? Have you ever been guilty of procrastinating? So here's what Joshua said. It's what I say to you this morning. So now, fear God. Worship Him in total commitment. If you decide that's a bad thing to worship God, then choose a God you'd rather serve. Do it today. Don't waste time playing church. If you want to serve another God, if you want to serve materialism, if you want to serve and not put Jesus first, don't waste your time. But if you put God first, God will put you first. As for me and my family, Joshua said, we'll worship God. Would you stand with me and let's lift our tithes and offerings to the Lord. Lord, now there may be some here today that they just decide they're going to try. And I ask you to bless them, encourage them, there may be some here today that, Lord, all they've got is two cent. But they sincerely, not for me, but they sincerely want to give you all they have. Then there are many others here today, Lord, that they're going to take maybe a step of faith and begin to tithe. And, Lord, that's a scary thing if they've never done it before. But I've given them your word. You have said, 
if you put me first. This is the purpose of tithing, put me first. So I pray that, God, you will just bathe them in peace as they tithe. And then, Lord, there are many others here today, like Mark and Casey, like Debbie Holbrook, like this other couple. God, who go beyond the tithe and they give sacrificially because they want to live generously. And I ask you, Lord, would you so bless them that pretty soon they'll be looking for more places to be able to give because of the overwhelming abundance you pour back into their lives. Now, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, it's my responsibility as a pastor to pray over the offering. It's my responsibility to ask God to bless your obedience. But the heart of God in my heart is not about a budget this morning. That's not what this is all about. It's about you. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, this is a good Sunday to commit your life to Christ. This is a good Sunday to say, Jesus, I'm giving my life to you. I believe in you. And you're not here by an accident. You know that God brought you here. There were two young men in the first service. They were not here by an accident. They haven't been here in years with his little boys. They attended. One of them told me, he says, I was supposed to be here today. You were supposed to be here because God wants you to know he loved you so much. He gave his only son to die for your sins and my sins. And so I invite you right now, you can do it right where you're standing, to commit your life to Christ. Would you pray with me? Just pray it quietly to the Lord. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of your life for my sins. I believe in you, Jesus. I don't understand it all, but I believe in you. And as much as I know how, I commit my life to you today. And I ask you to come in, save me, and make me a brand new man or woman. Change my life. Religion can't do it, but you can change me in Jesus' name. If you did that, would you just raise up your hand and say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer with you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else say, Pastor, I'm committing my life to Jesus. I see your hand. Yes, ma'am. God bless you. Someone else. Yes, ma'am. I see your hand. Thank you. Yes, sir. <laughs> Anyone else? Say, Come on. Lift it up. You say, Pastor, I'm committing my life to Jesus. Let me be the first to know. Church, can we give, I know you're holding your offering, but lay it on the pew beside you. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? Hallelujah.